Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a morbidly obese professor called Sam Foster, who is experimenting with a formula that would enable instantaneous weight loss. After a cruel stand-up comedian mercilessly mocks his weight in front of a baying crowd, Sam decides to take drastic action. He uses the formula on himself, and miraculously it works, transforming him into a slim, confident, and very handsome alter ego of himself, which he calls Danny Moran. Initially, everything seems to be going Sam's way, but soon after, Danny Moran's persona starts to get stronger and stronger and more obnoxious. Sam works out this is because Danny's testosterone levels are 60,000% higher than normal, and he... Oh, uh, wait a Sorry, that's, uh, that's the plot of The Nutty Professor. The 1996 Eddie Murphy remake. Um, this is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dan Moran, and joining me is my shy, good-natured, intelligent, food-loving chum, Sam Foster. Hi. This week, Danny and I went to see The Man from Uncle, Guy Ritchie's film about two titanic, absurdly handsome, metrosexual men in expensive suits hopping about Europe. They bicker endlessly, but eventually develop a grudging respect for one another. We couldn't believe it. It was literally our lives on screen. Literally the same as our lives. Then I went to see Noah Baumbach's Mistress America, a film which explores the dreams and neuroses of cinema's most neglected segment of society, young middle-class New Yorkers. Why has no one ever made a film about these people before? They are fascinating. It's true. They are very interesting. As well as reviewing those two films, Danny and I decide whether a Man of Steel sequel could work if it was set in a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland filled with breakdancing penguins, and whether Hugh Jackman is dedicated enough to cope with 10 years of shooting a film adaptation of The Odyssey in real time. Plus, we ask our listeners which films they always have to defend liking, and we ask Woody Allen about his rumoured beef with Bruce Willis. Finally, there should just be time for me to unveil my personal production slate of superhero movies. Three films a year, made by me and me alone, for the next 15 years. Each film will be the origin story of a superhero of my own invention, until the final film, in which all 44 heroes will join together in a single team to debate the merits of women-only train carriages. Sexual harassment policy proposals assemble. November 28th, 2031. Book your tickets now.
you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. Dan Knoll has written in. He writes... Hello, film chaps. Here's a discussion point for you. Why is there so much internet hate surrounding Quentin Tarantino? I've seen the interview he did for New York Magazine's Vulture, posted by various sources recently, and the top rated comments seem to be filled with the typical internet knee-jerk reaction of this man is literally the worst thing to happen to cinema ever cliches. When I was 16, I was of the opinion that practically everyone in the world liked all of his films, how could you not? But lately I've noticed that he's been thrown into the barrel with the likes of Nolan and Burton as one of the most overrated filmmakers of all time. Is this a mass revolt of arty snobs, or are his films genuinely that polarising to film fans? Interesting question. Interesting question. I think it's just a lot of um, a lot of it brings on himself just by being so wildly arrogant in every yeah. interview he does. Yeah, yeah, he's hilariously arrogant, man. Um, so if you're not a fan of him anyway, just reading interview him must be like nails on jawbone or something, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's like arrogant in the traditional sense, but he just makes very kind of declarative statements about his own <laughs> like prowess compared to other yeah like directors. He obviously considers himself like one of the great directors. And then he would just say, like, you know, he just say, like, me and Paul Thomas Anderson are making the best movies right now. Yeah, or something like even that. when he's complimenting other directors, he includes himself. Yeah, he will say things like, he's one of the best di- casting directors of all time, except for myself. Except for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's pretty arrogant to the traditional sense. Okay. I also think there's, there's part of it, there's this um, sort of perception that surrounds Tarantino of him being not very serious. I mean, maybe that's part of um, his interview persona as well. But if you perceive him as a kind of film, like a really geeky guy, he's kind of weird looking, and his movies are often a bit violent, although not like objectively that much more violent than many other mainstream films, but he enjoys violence in his movies, and he will say that publicly, that you know he enjoys depicting it. And they're very cool you know, they often have, like, cool soundtrack yeah. bits, and I think for a lot of um, film critics of a snobbier persuasion, these things kind of turn them off as um, just a bit too... It's like, a bit, yeah, it's a bit like he's not part of our club, you know? He's yeah, not... yeah, exactly. He's not one of us, you know? Yeah. He doesn't make archetypes of films. He's not like, like Michael Haneke, like, making yeah, exactly. some kind of, like, weird, um, you know, contemplative, middle-class angst film. Know, he gives a shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know if his films are really that polarizing to film fans. I think there's like a segment of people that don't like violent movies that see Tarantino as the sort of antichrist. But in general, his movies, I think, are very popular. Yeah, they win Oscars. Yeah. They're sort of accepted by the establishment. Yeah. But I think he's great. Big Tarantino fan. One of my favorite directors. Yeah, man. Me too. Yeah. Bring on Hateful Eight. Yeah. Let's start the fight back here, guys, against the Tarantino haters. Yeah, man. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, I'm gonna write an angry tweet to Christian Guru Murthy the second we... uh, Finished recording this. Find that guy. Thanks, Dan. So, the only person more talked about than Tarantino this week is obviously me mm-hmm. with my incredible uh, question I posed to our listeners of what are the films you have to defend liking and defend not liking. There are many films that everyone likes that I don't like. Birdman, for example. Nebraska. Yeah. Lost in Translation. And uh, people got in touch. Todd James Phillips says, having a lot of trouble defending Fantastic Four, and also I hated Boyhood, which was the most boring film I think I've ever seen. Well, Todd, I think you're the most boring man. (laughs) I know. That opinion. Well, you're entitled to it, but I can only disagree in the strongest of terms. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all, but maybe, you know, that that means it's really capturing the essence of your question. Yeah, thanks, man. You're the only one that's really interpreted this question as I I did. I would love to hear your defense of Fantastic Four, because... 
I stated in my review, and I stand by it, that I can't really under, like conceive of any single person liking the movie. Well, now you can conceive of one person. Well, there's, well, there's one person out there. You. I would love to hear a defense of it. And I, don't, I take no pleasure in thinking it was terrible, but it um, didn't work at um, all. Yeah, it's true. It's quite a Kermit-y thing of me to say, but that's my view. Um, Joe McCormick says, I've never understood the love people have for District 9. I've met a lot of people who claim it's their favourite film and think it's a brilliant sci-fi slash political analogy. I couldn't get past the whole aliens training their incredibly powerful weapons for cat food plot point myself. That is fair enough. I mean, that movie mm. is like, if you start Pete taking it apart, it just like unravels. Like, But I think the reason why it works is because Shoto Copley's so great in it and it's kind of relentlessly paced. It like doesn't really give you time to think about it. But uh yeah, if you do stop and think about it, I mean, a lot of it just doesn't make no sense. What does yeah. alien goo power a ship and turn human into aliens? But, you know, yeah, it's yeah. mental. Yeah, it's a very strange film. And and also, I think that uh, it felt very fresh at the time. And now uh, he's made a um, number of films. Uh, that guy, what's his name? Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp. He's made a number of films which have similar, like, a kind of similar look to them. And one is well received. But I think that the original idea of this kind of low-budget, cool alien movie where the aliens landed before and they're kind of integrated into society, but they're kind of ghettoized, I think it's a cool idea. Yeah. I'm a bit worried that this question is just... It's just like, here's a bunch of movies, like, what do you think of them? So we can just tell them why they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not here, you know? Yeah, your own fucking podcast. What are they going to do about it? Yeah. I don't know. I think, um, yeah... The ideal examples are the ones which are really like crazy far out. Yeah, I think that's what I want. I want. I would love to Todd to write a more uh, detailed version right of in, why. Todd, I'm sorry about calling you boring. You're not boring. You're a great guy. Your comment is actually you know, maybe the most interesting one. Exactly. And finally, Michael Patrick says, "National Treasure" and "A Knight's Tale" are two of the finest films ever made. No one seems to understand this. Well, um, I completely agree. I think they're masterpieces. So, um, yeah. Again, I mean, well, nice ta- "A Knight's Tale" is a well-liked film, isn't it? Yeah. Guys, I mean, you're really you not to. meeting me halfway <laughs> with this question. What are your guilty pleasures and guilty displeasures? Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to be worried about stating this opinion. Yeah, I was uh, trying to think of something to answer it, and um, I feel like I can't think of that many movies that aren't either like that they're really sort of critically slated that I like. I think maybe Hulk, the Ang Lee Hulk, which is generally considered to be really bad. I think the critical consensus is that it's worse than the. Um, Tim Roth, uh, Edward Norton one, which I don't agree with at all. But I know that you're kind of on the same page as me with Hulk. Like you think it's okay, right? Yeah, I think so. yeah, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty I think good. The biggest mistake is having a hulky guy be the Hulk. Yeah, well, like, like Eric Banner's already quite a muscular man. Yeah, I was like, is he already hulked out? But it just it was just what when he's first seen, you're yeah, like, like, has oh my he become Jesus Christ? He's the Hulk. Has he become the Hulk? I thought the Hulk was green, <laughs> and then he turned into the Hulk, and I was like, oh right, he wasn't the Hulk. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, why Mark Ruffalo's casting is good. Yeah, I agree. So that's my pick. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, guys. Write in if you have any more. Write and let us know. Write and let us know. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. So. The Odyssey, everyone's favourite book. We've all read it, right? Mm-hmm. We all have 7,000 pages. We all it. learned ancient Homeric Greek to read it. Yeah, they um, they just got the receipts back from Troy 11 years too late. <laughs> and like, this was a huge hit. Why are we making more uh, films about the Greek, uh, Greek mythology? So apparently Hugh Jackman is in early talks to star in a movie adaptation of The Odyssey playing the titular Odysseus. 
uh, Francis Lawrence, uh, who is the director of The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1, 1 and 2, yeah. and Catching Fire, yeah. and I Am Legend, and a bunch of Hollywood films, uh, is going to direct the movie from a script by Peter Craig, who wrote The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1, and The Town, that Ben Affleck Boston crime drama. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Because that is a long book and it covers about 10 years. It's very episodic as well. Yeah. And it's also, going back to sort of Troy, I think maybe one of the smart moves of that movie, of uh, not that highly regarded, hey, that would be a guilty pleasure if you really like Troy. That will be. And I don't. I think it's shit. So unfortunately, <laughs> but, um, I can't fill that. They cut role. out all the gods. There's a whole, that kind of Greek mythos world, you got to have the concept of all the gods warring yeah. It's quite a sort of odd concept. It's kind of a secular to, version of yeah, uh, the story, yeah. To portray on screen. And like a lot of the Odyssey is to deal with just him pissing off various gods or um, other gods take, liking him. That's the kind of thing, you know, he's just beholden to what the gods, he's just their pawn, you know. Yeah. Just random stuff happens to him and he has to deal with it. But um, Hugh Jackman, he's a, he's a hunky man. He can yeah, do sort of tortured a bit. He does talk like in Les Mis, you know. He's a good tortured guy. And he, and he likes to have weird kind of messy hair now. He loves he had that. that in Les Mis and uh, in the new Peter Pan film, um, Pan. He's got some crazy hair in that. He loves crazy so hair. So he'll probably have crazy wild hair in this one. He'll be like all tanned and hairy and uh, and everything like that. I can't wait. It'll probably be great. But it's right. It is a bit of an odd. It definitely does not follow any kind of traditional... Uh, well, I'm kind of wondering about myself. I guess the sort of journey home, guy trying to get home, is quite a traditional type of story. But it's very like meandering. It's very episodic. Yeah. And, um, and he spends um, like seven years on an island with uh, Cersei. After all, his crew get into pigs and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> yeah and there's like certainly um, there's this thing in like script writing. No, no, is like a Deus Ex Machina. But in the story of the Odyssey, there's constantly the gods help. The, yeah, the gods, the gods help him out. Yeah, yeah, just like random stuff you're not expecting doesn't really obey any conventional modern dramatic rules yeah and it's got so, a bit of a strange ending as well where he uh turns up back home and just like <laughs> he arrives home and then he like murders all of his wife's um suitors and and stuff like that and then it's like everything is fine <laughs> so yeah, sort of en- ends with a sort of bout of mass murder but yeah well well could, could yeah be good. it's interesting yeah it's interesting interesting idea for a, for a project and Francis Lawrence, I don't know. Uh, I think the only movies of his that I've seen are the, the Hunger Games ones, but they're pretty good. Yeah, I didn't think, like, he did Constantine and I'm Legend, and I'm like, those movies aren't very good. But I don't know if it's just my residual warmth towards the Hunger Games films. I'm like, these are really good. Like, maybe he's just got better. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's, yeah, he's learned a few, he's kept some notes over the years, and he's improved himself. Good job, yeah. Lawrence. Good job. Good job. Yes. So... Superman, the DC universe is one of the major superhero universes that's burgeoning at the moment. They've got an absolute ton of movies coming out over the next five or six years. But one of the movies they do not yet have uh, coming out, they don't have a date for it yet, is Man of Steel 2. So Superman is already set to appear in a few movies. He's going to appear in uh, Dawn of Justice, fighting off Batman, and then he's going to appear in the Justice League movie itself, presumably. Yeah, part he, one and part two. Part one and part... Presumably he'll be in part two. Let's hope. Um, but he doesn't have a sequel to his own standalone film as of yet. But there is some news that George Miller, he of Mad Max fame and he of Mad Max 2 fame, and the other Mad Max and films. He, Mad Max Beyond <laughs> the Thunderdome fame. Yes. And Mad Max Fury Road fame. Absolutely. And Happy Feet fame. And Happy Feet 2 fame. <laughs> and Lorenzo's Oil. And, um, shit, what other movies he made? Uh, Witches of Eastwick or something? He did that, didn't he? Maybe. Yes. Anyway, that man, um, he is circling Man of Steel 2. 
as announced by uh, John Schnepp, the guy who directed uh, The Death of Superman Lives, he's, on his podcast. He probably knows a lot about Superman now. Just any, they just talked to him directly. He is... He's yeah. just the spokesman for Superman. Well, if you Google Superman, he's on the front. He's on the first page. So yeah, there's keep... rumors he might actually be playing Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but this is what he said on his podcast. George Miller is doing Man of Steel two, and I don't feel weird about breaking it. Obviously, Zack Snyder is doing Justice League one and two. James Wan is doing Aquaman. I think George Miller is a perfect choice to do Man of Steel two. He's going to bring so much to it. So there's that. Although it's not even an officially announced film. So it can cannot be said that it's like a done deal by any means. And if they put it after their current slate, then it's not going to come out for like five or six years, which is quite yeah. weird. But I mean, he's a great director, and it'd be interesting to see his take on it. But I'm just like, I don't. He's super old. I don't want him to die halfway through like the next Mad Max film. How, how old is George Miller? It's like seventy. Right. Well, you know, he's not like about to die. No, but like, I mean, he's like, not like death's door. You know, I'd much rather see him do a Mad Max sequel next. He's got this new trilogy plan of Mad Max films. I just want to see, I want to see more Mad Max. I don't want to see. Max I know what you mean. Film. I mean, Mad Max Fury Road is so much um, the vision of a single man who's just like forced it into onto the screen. You know, did whatever he wanted. Yeah. And planned it over years and years. And him doing Man of Steel two would be totally different because he'd have to um, fit it into the studio vision. Yeah, but he was. Um going to do a justice league movie years ago oh, and then yeah, like that's the, right, yeah. some sort of economic reason like the yen collapsed or something and they lost all this yeah, money they and they couldn't just afford all the capes couldn't and... afford all the capes the capes were the biggest expenditure so he's obviously got interest in this um in this character i also think um basically man of steel wasn't very good i don't know if dawn of justice will be any better but it's a bit hard to take a character that's already been slightly um fudged and it's like um, origins, you know, and then do and, it well, and then do it well because he like all of America got destroyed, and it was sort of his fault. And it's like <laughs> it's hard to like recover from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he. I maybe... think audiences tend to be quite forgiving. You know, I think like sometimes in sequels, the directors come in and they just do something like drastically different to what happened in the first one, and if it's good, people are like, fine, whatever. Also, um, Mad Max Four was really bright, and. The Man of Steel, this whole aesthetic Zack Snyder's going from, I can't see what the fuck's going on. So yeah, yeah. Just because he'd let you know, open up the apertures a bit. He found the superhero with the world's brightest costume, and then made the films like the world's darkest film out of it. Yeah, it's quite strange. It's odd. Odd. I'd just be nice to see it kind of taken out of Snyder's hands a little bit. To yeah, be get out of Snyder's hands. Let's get someone other than Zack Snyder. He makes a heck of a trailer, but don't about his movies. Yeah. Man. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, Sam, Star Wars news again. Yes! I know you love hearing about Star Wars. I love Star Wars news. It's been a few weeks since we've had any Star Wars news. And luckily, they just drip feed information like every four hours now to make sure the internet is constantly talking about Star Wars. Yeah, I've just got a tube stuck into my arm and little bits of Star Wars news come into it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that IV drip of Star Wars news. What is it, Danny? Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World and Safety Not Guaranteed, is going to helm the third in this new Star Wars trilogy film, yeah. um, simply known as Star Wars 
was 10 at the moment. There's been some backlash from the nerds about oh, wait that. Wait a second. Nine. It's nine. Oh, yeah. Who cares? No, it's known as Star Wars 10, <laughs> but it is the ninth episode. It's going to um, be like Windows 10. You know, they just skip number nine. He said on um, getting the job, this is not a job or an assignment. It is a job, Colin. So. <laughs> Interesting opening remark. It is a seat at a campfire surrounded by an extraordinary group of storytellers, filmmakers, artists, and craftspeople. We've been charged with telling new stories for a younger generation because they deserve what we all had. Mythology to call their own. Uh, new flash, Colin, uh, the Lord of the Rings movies exist now. So yeah, they not, have a mythology to call their required, own, Colin. Uh, we will do this by channeling something George Lucas instilled in all of us. Boundless creativity, pure invention, and hope. Spill us all a Barmer-esque. Like, yeah, he sounds like Andy Burnham. Kathleen Kennedy, who is the producer of the new Star Wars films, uh, said on Colin's hiring, Colin is someone I've been interested in working in ever since I saw Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, the, <laughs> Star Wars material. The power of that film, paired with the enormous success of Jurassic World, speaks volumes about his abilities both as a storyteller and a skilled filmmaker. On that, isn't that the same thing? I don't understand. Uh, we are thrilled to have such an incredible talent as Colin join our family and step into the Star Wars universe. First of all, Safe Not Guaranteed really isn't much to write home about. It's like a quite enjoyable, short indie film. I, I don't know. I just don't understand Maybe I missed something Maybe it was a work of genius Yeah I'm pretty sure just like Three offbeat characters In a small town And there was some acoustic guitar Same old same old But maybe I don't know What do I know Kathleen's a very um, Accomplished producer Producer so I'm going to call it now. Uh, Star Wars Episode Nine is going to be shit. It's well, it's be the had, worst there's a bit, of the trilogy. There's been a bit of a nerd backlash on it, hasn't there? Yeah. And the nerds aren't that happy. I think uh, Jurassic World made an absurd amount of movie. Uh, amount of movie. It is an absurd amount of movie, and it's it made an absurd amount of movie. And it made an absurd amount of money. It's like the fourth highest grossing yeah, movie ever now, or something. Um, so it's not in altogether that surprising. He's been given a big job afterwards, but I think some of the nerds are a bit because basically he took a previous franchise and uh, recycled all the ideas and made them bigger and uh, made a worse film out of them. And people are a bit worried that that's what he's, you know... That's, that, is that the Trevor Rowe way? Yeah, exactly. You know, just to sort of copy the formula as blatantly as you possibly can with, like, a slight twist and then, you know... Yeah, I'm excited for Ryan Johnson's episode eight. Yeah. He's a really good he's director. He's a really cool choice. Ryan Johnson is a great choice for Star Wars. So good, for them, good on them for that. But. Yeah. And also, I think out of those three directors, he's the most... If you're going to make this kind of George Lucas comparison, he's like this indie director who's like made these three films and they've got like bigger in scale and he's like earned his stripes. Whereas like Colin Trevorrow is of this like recent um, trend of like small directors just suddenly becoming these huge behemoth. Yeah. And I wonder if that's particularly healthy for their careers or if it's like too much too soon and like to go just from making something which like cost like five quid to like you know, having yeah. all the studio interference like, to touch your fingertips. I guess, it's, yeah, it's not just the budget. It's like the difference between having control over every last bit of your movie because there's just not that much of it to go around yeah. to being a little cog in the massive studio production. And it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because it obviously ate Josh Trank up and spat him out and uh, Colin Trevor has done really, really well out of it. But um, yeah, Ryan Johnson makes more sense because uh, his last movie was Looper, which was a kind of mid-budget you know cool yeah. sci-fi movie and it is definitely looks like a calling card for a major blockbuster so um yeah that's super exciting looks like sam's got a film to review he's just getting ready now 
Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. So, I went to see the film Mistress America this week. It's the next Noah Baumbach movie. He obviously is making them at a very rapid pace. It's the second Noah Baumbach movie to come out this year. Um, you went to see While We're Young, did you not? And didn't I did, I didn't like it. Didn't particularly like it, but um, he's back and he's trying to impress you again um, <laughs> with Mistress America. This is his third collaboration with Greta Gerwig after they made Greenberg together and then they made Francis Ha, which um, I haven't seen Greenberg, but Francis Ha is pretty good. You like that? Yeah, right? I really like Francis Ha. Yeah, and so um, uh, he's made another one. It's another kind of um, indie, sort of small film, like very low budget, kind of people go around and talk studio movie it's about a young girl she's 18 she's just started university she's played by uh, she's called tracy she's played by lola kirk who is the sister of jemima kirk from girls um which is interesting little fact for you the Um, sort of british one yeah exactly the kind of like british accented one um and she's she was also in gone girl and uh so she's like an aspiring writer she goes to university and she's not having a fantastic time there at the start of her semester and her mum suggests that she meets up with her her mum's fiance's daughter soon to be stepsister um who's called brooke and she's played by greta gerwig and she meets her and she's like this older um very vivacious kind of larger than life character who uh is super enthusiastic about everything and has all these schemes on the go but they sort of looks like she's heading towards disaster um and tracy um really likes her they form a bond and tracy decides um against her possibly against her better judgment to help her with her scheme to set up a restaurant um, which he's very keen on but it doesn't necessarily look like it's going to succeed so it's a it's a sort of small film but it's very charming i really enjoyed it i think there's probably a certain segment of people who have seen all the movies that they want to see about the problems of new yorkers and yeah. you know them like moaning about their lives and like wondering who they are and that kind of thing it's got a, it's got very much that it's a bit like a woody allen movie in that way um, where people go to nice cafes and they all wear sort of nice clothes and um you know they sure. hang out and they talk very rapidly and they're very all sort of super intellectualized and have a lot of psychological references in their conversations and that kind of thing but if just you like have us. just like us just like us exactly but if you have patience for that or if that's not a turn off for you then i think um it's a really fun movie one of the features of these types of movies like greta gerwig is um first known to come out of the mumblecore movement those small American movies basically named after how incredibly low-key they are and everyone was just mm-hmm. sitting around talking mm-hmm. about nothing. Mm-hmm. They're mumbling, mm-hmm. mumbling, mm-hmm. and uh, You've seen the new... eating apples and throwing away the cores. So yeah. that's, why, that's why they were called that. <laughs> um, but in this movie is refreshing in a way because it's very tightly scripted and very rapid. It's got a real kind of pitter-patter to it. It's a bit like His Girl Friday or something like that. Oh, cool. Um, and especially in the second half where it turns into more of a screwball comedy... Um, where they all end up at this one house and all the characters in, are in there and there's kind of misunderstandings and confrontations and the lines are really kind of um, coming thick and fast um, and that's a bit of a new direction for this type of movie to go in and it was quite good fun so that sort of fast element at the end was quite welcome How's Greta? Greta Gerwig is great she's doing a different thing to what she's doing in Francis Ha when she was the kind of bumbling every girl um, and in this movie she's playing a much kind of bigger character but she's very funny she's just very very charming and uh, yeah because there's this like idea among Baumbach aficionados that 
like she's like a positive influence on his quite gloomy she makes very sort of bitter films yeah and the ones that she's in with the exception of Greenberg she's like it's almost like she's a ray of sunshine yeah she's, she's like, in, she is like Francis Hart she's an injection of youth which is um, sort of given like a sort of second win in his career yeah maybe, maybe maybe there's something to that because it's not this is like quite a cheerful film um, it's quite sentimental and it's full of really nicely observed little moments and the main character is um, the, the little Kirk character Tracy she's probably a little bit too self-possessed and smart and witty for an 18 year old right but there are a few um which is often like a problem with these kinds of movies like the juno problem yeah um but there are there are a few observations in it that rang quite true for me which i liked seeing done uh one of which was how miserable she finds starting university not that i found that really miserable but she describes it to her mum as like being at a party where you don't know anyone but all the time um and yeah, that, yeah. that resonated quite a lot and then there's another scene where Brooke, the Greta Gerwig character, tells her to pick up some pasta for dinner, and she, and uh, she goes into a supermarket and there's like 800 different kinds of pasta, and she just like has no idea what yeah. to do, and she ends up buying like seven of them, and she like calls her mom like, "What kind of pasta do I buy?" If you like, what well, you know, and that's exactly what I'm like. You know? <laughs> like when I was studying university, I have to do these things for the first time, and you re- you don't have any instinct for them, and you're like, I don't know. It's like you the first time you have to cut an onion, and like everyone does this without thinking, but it's like, what actually do I do with this thing? <laughs> Um, so I like that and it's full of these little li- like throwaway lines and stuff and it's it's written with this real kind of exuberance yeah. kind of sound- it feels like it was fun to write the movie and there's so much like richness to the dialogue and there's so many nice little touches that it's hard not to get kind of caught sure. up in it and enjoy it and it's quite nicely plotted as well it's like quite tightly plotted it's that not, sounds like, good because I was like I wanted to wait for your opinion because I was a bit burnt by While We're Young, which is a bit yeah. sort of bitter old man's movie. Yeah. So I was like, you know, you oh. made Francis Hart, but you made While We're Young bone back. Yeah. So which bone back am I dealing with here? You know, this is this is definitely more of the joyous young woman's movie. Yeah, I would say. And there's some good, you know, if you like your movies to come with a dose of uh, female backbiting, then uh, you'll probably enjoy it. Do I? That. Yeah. If you like that in Girls, the way they all hate each other and they're all mean to each other. Yeah, check this one out. I like to see women rip each other apart. You know? Yeah, like, like to turn, s- turn them against each other. <laughs> you know, until there's none left. <laughs> until there's, there's, there's none left, and now you rule the world. <laughs> and men shall rule. <laughs> First, we yeah. get them all in one carriage, and they'll be burned. The carriage. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Sorry, um, don't know what so, I'm on that sort of creepy <laughs> note. Yeah, I uh, I recommend checking it out. It's not a it's not a world beating film by any means. Like. I don't think that the like sort of relatively minor problems of these bunch of relatively well-off New Yorkers is the most important subject for a movie or anything like that, and it's been covered many, many times, like in Woody Allen's entire career. But if you enjoy it, then you'll enjoy this. Cool. I'm gonna check it out. Okay, enough about all these bloody women, okay? Let's get some men. Let's get some men back. Let's get some men. The man from Uncle. First of all, that title's got the word man in it. And secondly, mm-hmm. Uncle is a man, right, isn't it? So, yeah. Brilliant. So, no room for a woman there. No room for a woman there. So, this is Guy Ritchie's remake of the 1960s 
sort of caper series which used to star Robert Vaughan and some other guy who I didn't research the name of. Uh, the plot is as follows. In the 1960s with the Cold War in play, CIA agent Napoleon Solo, played by Henry Cavill, successfully helps Gabby Teller, played by Alicia Vikander, uh, defect to West Germany despite the intimidating opposition of KGB agent Ilya Kurienka played by Army Hammer. Later, all three unexpectedly find themselves working together in a joint mission to stop a private criminal organisation from using Gabby's father's scientific expertise to construct their own nuclear bomb. Through clenched teeth and stylish poise, all three must find a way to cooperate for the sake of world peace, even as they pursue their own personal agendas. Um, and that is the plot of The Man of Uncle. And I thought this movie was a lot of fun. Yeah, I I, um, I probably went in with literally no expectations. I think I saw the trailer once. It sort of arrived without much fanfare, and I'm not sure if it's doing that much business. Yeah, and I, it's funny. Like, it, I mean, it seemed I haven't heard much about it as though it was kind of a flop, but I don't know why. I mean, it's, like, it's good fun. Like, it's full of spectacle and stuff. Yeah, there are many things I like about it. I like. Um, I thought the opening of the film was really excellent. And it sets up uh, the Cold War setting and all the three characters are very quickly established and they're sort of dynamic in a way um, where there's a lot of plot happening at the same time and there's a succession of very witty beats. And then after that opening, the sort of fat begins to marble slightly in the screenplay and it gets a bit baggy. But even though things are sort of always light and frothy, uh, it's a little too long perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I liked about it, I thought um, Guy Ritchie's direction was actually um, pretty good in this movie. He's been accused of being like a sort of style over substance director, which I think is definitely true. But I think the sort of 60s setting suits him as a director. And whereas before I found like the sort of slow motion Victorian fight scenes of Sherlock Holmes just a bit sort of obtrusive and a bit dull, uh, maybe just because he gets to film so many nice suits, his sort of style's a bit more reined in. And uh, there's no like really super slow mo. I'm fucking directing a scene moments. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit more um, just kind of zippily put together and uh, really tightly edited. I thought. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think that the the especially in the opening sequence, like it's very stylish, but it's all kind of um, for a point. Yeah. Like uh, the way the like the opening sequence of it is just a very tight, well choreographed, um, and neat little action tense action scene and uh yeah it is really good i agree with you that it felt as though they planned it less and less as the film went along and then yeah. by the end it was like we'll just turn up and wear something out uh on it's, the day but it's yeah it's curiously like quite action light and a couple of the major action sequences are sort of turned into like sort of music montage moments mm. which is sort of fun but a little underwhelming it's funny because it does it's not like ex- it was it makes them not exciting but then you're kind of like uh like maybe that's not the idea you know yeah there's like um without giving too much away there's like a scene where there's a, like a high-speed boat chase going on while henry cavill like has lunch and it's supposed to be like a comedy scene but that scene is like em- emblematic of the film itself it's like there's not really interested in the high-speed car chase it's more interesting in having lunch and uh yeah just like being a bit funny being and... a bit funny yeah and it, it doesn't really um gear up for the finale it no, sort of winds um, down. Yeah, after the opening sequence, it kind of settles into a groove and sticks with it for the rest of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the leads were all good, very charismatic. Because the movie's somewhere between a sort of homage and a pastiche, and Army Hammer sort of pitched it uh, really well in between. And he, like, his role is of a sort of ludicrously angry killing machine Russian, but he brings a lot to it. 
And Henry Cavill has a slightly more caricatured role because he's like a ludicrous, suave Bond He's type. basically Archer, right? From the, yeah, yeah, sort of. And um, he basically, uh, he's very funny in it, but his role is a bit more of an impression than the character. And I would say he kind of does it as written and there's something funny about his sort of unflappable response to stuff. Um, <laughs> it's sort of funny how he, yeah, it's one of the things that you said after the movie is that he delivers every single line exactly the same, which is definitely yeah. true. And it is kind of amusing. But it, but it it gives him a bit less to do than Army. Army Hammer's much like he's a more interesting character in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's something funny about a huge man constantly unfussed by things. He looks a bit like he's a ridiculously handsome man, Henry Cavill. But he's also <laughs> ridiculously wide. Yeah, he's in, got in so it, much muscle mass. Now. Yeah, he's a giant in a way that makes him look kind of odd in his like super slick sixty suits. Of, you know. <laughs> like um i was thinking that it's a bit like there's that joke in train wreck where or at least in the trailer where john cena is like i look like mark Wahlberg, ate mark Wahlberg. yeah but mark henry cavill looks like don draper ate don draper (laughs) that's probably very true yeah yeah so it's very easy going one of the things i liked about it and one of the sort of most successful comedy element was uh, the way it kind of undercut the ludicrous masculinity of it, which I think is like a Guy Ritchie staple. And he's often accused of having quite a sort of blokish humour or like his films are like the favourite films of like Knott's readers or something. But ever since like with Vinnie Jones, it's been emotional. He always has like these ludicrously masculine people in very domestic situations. Like Sherlock Holmes is like they're a bickering couple. And then this, like the sort of super suave spy and the sort of the kind of white collar idea of a man and the blue collar idea of a man uh, are both undercut with like they're always bickering about fashion. And uh, there's yeah. like a sort of a successful kind of innuendo laced dialogue scenes where they're pretty much like a sort of old gay couple. Yeah. Like which, we're, we're going to be in and out in 10 minutes and we'll never speak of it again or yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's full of these like, yeah. But I don't know. I'm just uh, moments. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe your enjoyment of the film is depending how funny you find that kind of stuff. No, but I think I it's it true. Like, to the obligatory mention in the film should episode of Kingsman and why it's not as good as some other <laughs> In Kingsman, there's this um, worshipping of the GQ man, the guy in the suit who knows how to tie a cravat, blah, blah, blah. And there's this whole thing about um, the tailoring, you know, and like Oxford's not brogues and everything like that. You know, the ascot worshipping, all that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that idea is present in The Man from Uncle as well, where the fashion is a major part of it. But the way they do it in this is by having a scene where they're both arguing over how to dress the female carriage and like what goes with what and like what sort of handbag she should have and like and stuff like that. And it turns to a kind of Devil Wears Prada type scene, and it's like really funny. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a much um, it feels like a much more genuine bit of like mockery of that whole idea. Yeah, you know? I just uh, I don't know if it's just a. Uh, I should probably like undersell it so you enjoy it more. But I just went in and I, oh, I don't know, watched it on a Sunday afternoon. It's very sort of pleasant, very easy to watch. I wouldn't mind seeing the sequel. I enjoyed it more than Mission Impossible, personally. Hmm. I thought it was um, a lot more fun. Yeah, I would, I'd sort of, I'd say it's like a fun, um, it's like a fun cartoony action movie that doesn't have the kind of things that leave a bad taste in the mouth uh, that you know, a lot of the others do. It's, it's maybe it's a little bit light on action like after you've seen the first half of the movie it's kind of like yeah the other half doesn't have as much I, going on but i think that in a way like it's successful in that it achieves everything it set out to achieve but it's not really peaking your excitement above like a seven <laughs> yeah you know it doesn't it doesn't go much above that or much below that yeah. yeah so it hasn't failed in its ambitions but maybe they were just a little bit lower than they should have been yeah. like especially in the end the final thing i want to say about it is that i like the soundtrack it's got this cool uh, 60s italian rock and roll kind of surf rock soundtrack thing 
which is pretty cool. I'd buy their soundtrack and I'd listen to it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, check it out, whatever. Check it out. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, sharp. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat so, a final bit of news that is too important to leave to the beginning of the podcast and has to be saved to the end. Yes. Woody Allen, who me and Danny both like very much, both on a personal and professional level, is making his next film, as yet untitled, and it previously had been announced that it would star Bruce Willis, but it emerged earlier this week that Bruce is off. He's gone. He's, he's out of there. Jeez. He's left. And uh, the official reason is that it was a scheduling conflict, but there is some speculation that it could have been that, you know, he got something fired. he got fired, something like that. Because if you have a scheduling conflict, how was that? How did no one notice that until you're actually like on the set and stuff? Yeah, you know? it seems a bit suspicious. Um, and there was a journalist who tweeted that he got fired quite explicitly. So people kind of think that maybe something, maybe he something wrong. Yeah. yeah. So I figured who else, who better to clear up what happened? Just call Woody. Just call Woody himself. Just call Woody. Yeah. He's probably up. Yeah. We, <laughs> we've always got him to hand, and he yeah. unfailingly answers his phone when we need I've him to. i got his so. uh, number on speed dial, so I just press the uh, Woody button now. Hi, Woody? Who is this? It's, it's Danny from Film Chat. Oh, Danny. Hi, it's, it's wonderful to hear from you again. I've been hoping you'd call sooner, in fact. Um, I've been following your podcast's Twitter account, and there's some really terrific stuff on there, some wonderful tweets. Oh, thanks, Woody. Um, I'm just calling about this uh, this brew situation that's just broken over here in the UK. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm here as well. Sam's also here. And um, what happened with Bruce Willis? We heard he's off your movie. Well, I'll tell you what happened, and uh, I want you to appreciate what a treat it is to hear this, because... People have been asking me about this all day, and I've turned them all down. The Times called, and I told them I was busy. Entertainment Weekly called, and I said, I'm sorry, I have a terrible cold. The Hollywood Reporter called, and I said, I wish I could help. I have a dentist appointment. And Mia Farrow called, and, well, on that occasion, I didn't answer. But, um, so, sorry, what, sorry, what was your question? Um, about Bruce Willis not being in the film anymore? Bruce, yeah, of course. Um, Bruce, of course, well... The first thing that you should know is that I really did see him as integral to the project, you know I mean? Just to give you an idea of his importance, the working title of my movie was Bruce Willis. So it was hard to let him go, but after a few days on set, it became very clear that it was going to be impossible to work with him. Oh, oh wow, okay. Um, what, why was that? Okay, well, first of all, I mean, he owns a large dog, right? And it, I think it's half Mastiff, half Cerberus. And he insisted on it being in every scene with him, or even his shower scene which I found very, very strange, okay? And his behavior on set became very erratic. Whenever he forgot his line, he would say, in the fifth, my ass goes down, which is, a, which is one of his lines from Pulp Fiction. And it, it made absolutely no sense in the scene whatsoever. And he said that a hundred times every scene. I'm not kidding, okay? He refused to eat anything except for giraffe, which is kosher, but not at all easy to source. And he kept going to the hair and makeup department and asking for Donald Trump's toupee which was inappropriate for his character. 
every 45 minutes, he would point a member of the crew and shout, nap time, and they had to go take a nap. I mean, he's a great actor, but working with him was not at all sustainable. I'm sorry, it just, it just couldn't work. Wow, that sounded like very unprofessional behavior from Bruce. Well, I, I called him into my office, and I said, Bruce, you know, I'm not really sure about how this is working out, you know? And he said, pointed at me, and he said, nap time. And, you know, after I came back from my nap, I said, I'm, you're fired. You gotta go. You've got, I'm sorry, goodbye. Well, I mean, what else could you do? Yeah, I mean, you were put in an impossible position. Um, so, have you any have any thoughts about who you might replace him with? Well, I've been um, looking through my dress book, and I've made a list of every actor who is bald or who could be persuaded to become bald. And I've been calling all of them in alphabetical order, and I'm up to Jesse Eisenberg. That's who I'm going to try next, just after the Knicks game. And it, it's, I'm sorry, but um, it's actually become very exciting. And they're four points down in the final quarter now, so I'm just going to go finish watching that. Then I'm going to call Jesse. Yeah, okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. What a lovely man. It's quite odd that he's um, calling Jesse Eisenberg, considering he's already in the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he probably <laughs> he probably wants to double up. Yeah, do two roles. Yeah, like... Um, Melinda and Melinda. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the trick he's used before. That all makes sense. Eisenberg and Eisenberg. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, good luck to you, Woody. Good luck to you, Bruce. I hope you both get back on your feet after this tough time. Godspeed. Godspeed to you. And good luck to you, listeners. Have a wonderful week. Yeah. Yeah. See you soon. Get a lot of sleep. It's very important to a healthy lifestyle.